Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's uh, start with prayer. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, having a house down here that we can be in with your Bible open before us and you speaking to us right off the pages. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've also made a house for us that we can go to after this life to be forever with the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for doing all this for us. Help us now to grow in the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, and uh, starting at the beginning, verse 1 there, if you'd all please turn to that. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. They said, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsels is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither come from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me, all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. Now, in our study here in the book of Ruth, we've been following carefully these three main persons in this book here. I mean, we've seen Ruth. She's brave. 
She's courageous. She's a Moabite. But she, through her marriage into a Jewish family, she just caught a glimpse of Jehovah Jesus as the Lord God of Israel. And with this glimpse in her view, we saw how Ruth decided, therefore, leave everything behind in the land of Moab in order to pursue this Jehovah Jesus as the Lord God of Israel. And so far, what has impressed us as we've been here in the book is we've seen the choice that Ruth made when she said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the first chapter in verse 16, thy God, my God. And then we saw the price that she paid as Boaz said about her in chapter two, verse 11, Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. That's what we've seen about Ruth. We saw the choice that she made. We saw the price that she paid. And then we next followed the person of Naomi. She's a special person. This Jewish mother who left the land of Israel. She left the people of Israel and she went for food in the land of Moab where she hoped to just gain, gain, gain. And we saw that instead of gaining in the land of Moab, Naomi lost, lost, lost in the land of Moab there. She lost her husband in the land of Moab. She lost her two sons in the land of Moab. She lost her possessions in the land of Moab. She was reduced to nothing. But Naomi did not lose her God in the land of Moab. And God caused her, through all of her losses, to gain a great treasure, a wonderful, loving daughter-in-law, Ruth, that the women of Bethlehem later would say to her in the last chapter in verse 15, Ruth 4, 15, thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. But we saw how Naomi let her problems so overwhelm her that she ignored Ruth and she didn't recognize how rich she was with Ruth as her daughter-in-law. And we saw this epitome of Naomi's grief when she changed her name from Naomi, which means pleasantness, to Mara, which means bitterness, when she said in the first chapter there in verses 20 through 21, she said unto them, the people of Bethlehem, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, the Lord hath brought me home again empty, Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Those were strong accusations that Naomi brought against God. I mean, she was accusing God of dealing very bitterly with her. She was accusing God of bringing her home empty. She was accusing God of testifying against her and afflicting her. And so as we saw this in Naomi, we concluded how Naomi, when we looked at all this, we thought to ourselves, oh boy, you've got a lot to repent of. You have a lot to say you're sorry to Ruth, which she will as we begin now to see this great turning. That's the wonderful part about this book. 
because it's such an encouragement, because it's all about a stories and accounts of people in a terrible place in the land of Moab and now coming to a wonderful place in the land of Israel, the people of God with the God of Israel. It's a story of Naomi in the depths of her depression and the depths of the bitterness of her soul coming out of that to thank God and to run to God. It's wonderful. And so we saw that Naomi had pushed Ruth away in the first chapter, verse 15, when she said, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. She went from pushing her way, Ruth, to pulling her close to her, as she calls her in uh, verse two of chapter two, my daughter. And so when we've looked at Naomi and Ruth, we've seen that this is a book of change. It's a book of change. It's a book of conversion. And so Ruth has changed or she's converted from loving her people and her gods to loving Naomi's people and Naomi's God. And Naomi is changing too, as we said here. She's being converted from rejecting Ruth and God to accepting Ruth and seeing God as kind. Then we came to the person of Boaz. And what a wonderful person he is. And we met Boaz for the first time when he was returning from Bethlehem to in chapter two, verse four, And what we saw first thing right off the bat about Boaz is how he spoke directly to his his reapers, his workers. And he had a foreman that was over them, but no, no, Boaz speaks directly to them. And it's what he said that impressed us because the first words out of Boaz's mouth was not about how's the work going. It wasn't anything to do about work. We saw in verse four, the first two words out of the mouth of Boaz was, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord, the Lord be with you, the Lord. We can see, we just imagine a little bit, we just see in our mind's eye here, this worker seeing Boaz. They've seen him coming. Here he's coming. We see that's Boaz over there. He's coming from Bethlehem. And they're wondering, what's he going to, what's the owner going to speak about first? The landowner, is he going to want a report of the work? How much work was accomplished while he was away in Bethlehem? We want to know what problems that, that we've encountered and how we solve them. Is he going to want to know a projection report on, on how the harvest is going, when it's going to be completed, how much yield there's going to be from the harvest? But the first words out of Boaz's mouth that his workers hear, it shows what was on the mind of Boaz. They listen carefully for the first words. Nothing other than the Lord. And when he said that, everyone knew. Yes, Boaz was a busy businessman, and he had a lot of work on his mind. He had a lot to get done with his field, but with all of his business, Boaz's business was not what was first and foremost on his mind. First, foremost, was the Lord. Of course, he had natural affections were on his fields, on his property, on his work, his line of work, and there were many things that caught him off guard. I know that. And he wasn't expecting it, and all of a sudden, boom, it's there. First about God, instead of work, because Boaz set his affection to the Lord his God. And that's why in Colossians 3, 2, when it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. One simple reason, we're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dead to the things of the world. That's death. We're to set our interest on the Lord Jesus Christ and to put to death our interest on the things of the world. Before a person watches pornography, he has to be interested in pornography. Before a person engages in fornication, he has to be interested 
in fornication. Before a person seeks the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures and prayer, he has to be interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we control our interests. We are told, set our affections, set our interests on the Lord Jesus Christ, on things above. And Galatians 3, 5 says, it says, put to death your interests on the things of the earth. Put to death your interests in pornography, fornication, covetousness, and so forth, because those are dead things. And you're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz worked on setting his affection and his interest on Jehovah Jesus. It took discipline. He was a busy man. And who's more busy than the king of Israel? But as busy as he was, God instructed the king to be a man of discipline and to set his affection on God. As a matter of fact, God was very specific in his instructions to the king. And most of the time, the kings ignored God's specific instructions. But God said to the kings in Deuteronomy 17, 15 through 20, he said, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set the king over thee, and not be a stranger over thee, not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end they by horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall not henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. This is written by Moses long before Solomon. Neither shall he greatly multiply himself silver and gold. It shall be when he sits on his throne of the kingdom, he'll write him a copy of this law in a book. Out of that which is before the priests of the Levites, it'll be with him, he'll read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days of his kingdom. See, God said the king should not multiply horses to himself. So what did the kings do? They multiplied horses to themselves. God said the king should not have more than one wife. So what did all the kings do? They had many wives. God said, shouldn't multiply silver and gold to themselves, and they did that. See, it was almost as if God wanted them to not multiply horses and have wives and silver and gold, that God should have told them to go multiply horses and go have many wives, because <laughs> they were bent on doing the opposite. See, and those are the things that the king was not to do. Then he said, now this is the thing that the king should do. And he said, and when he sits on his throne, he says, he gets him a pen, a quill, and he starts copying. He said, the king should copy that. He shouldn't say, you're a scribe, you copy from me. No, God says, the king himself should write out every Hebrew character perfectly and make sure it's absolutely accurate as the Jews have a way of doing that. And then it says that that copy, then he doesn't put it away someplace, so I already did that. He says, no, he stays with him all the time. The copy of the law that he's written, it stays with him all the time. And he reads there in day and night. Can you imagine if we did this? If you didn't go down to your Bible bookstore and bought a Bible, but you bought a book of the same number of pages, but all blank, and then you said, okay, now, your job, rewrite this. Just write it word for word. <laughs> that's your book. And that's the one that stays with you. And that's the one that you read all the time. There's something. When you write something down, you say, that's really mine. He said, that's what you got to do. No Gutenberg press. You just write it yourself. And he says, you keep that, and you read it all the days for one person. You have to learn. Learn to fear the Lord. Learn to not be proud. Lift it up above your brethren. That book will do that for you, God said. This book will do that for you. 
This book will show us the sin that we're in. This book will show us the salvation, the way out, the escape that God has given us so that we don't have to face hell, so that we don't have to be lost and lonely and in darkness and in pain and suffering for all eternity in hell. This book is the direction for the escape. And God says, you take this book and you just put this in your heart and you will come the way that God has designed out of your sin into God's salvation through Jesus Christ, who he sent as the great ladder. That's Jacob's ladder. The Lord Jesus Christ is Jacob's ladder from earth to heaven. And so he said, now do that. 100% occupation with the word. And Boaz was an example of that. He was 100% occupied with God. All that interested Boaz was God. You cut through Boaz and you find an interest in God. And when Boaz says to his reapers, the Lord be with you, Boaz, he wasn't in a synagogue when he said that. He wasn't by some altar when he said that. He was at work and he's talking that way. He's a man who didn't play church. He's a person who, who didn't act Christianity. He was real. And because Boaz took those instructions in Deuteronomy 17, he says, well, if it's good for the king, it's good for me. And so in verse four, when he speaks to his reapers about God, they hear Boaz, he's actually a prayer. He says, the Lord be with you. That's a prayer. That's a prayer he's praying, the Lord be with you. That's the foremost desire on Boaz's heart that the Lord should be with his reapers. What a great encouragement to the reapers. The reapers, they follow his lead. They say, okay, the boss talks about God. So they say, the Lord, the reapers return, the Lord. And they pray for Boaz. The Lord bless you. And what a beautiful picture we have here of Boaz and his reapers. We see Boaz says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And the reapers return back, the Lord bless thee. And Boaz and his reapers, you know what they are? They're just united. They're just together in their dependence on God. Boaz and his reapers are united because they're saying these two vital words that open up God's mercy, that open up God's grace. There's only two words that opens up the mercy and grace of God for any person. And those words are, help me. And if anybody cries out to God from the depths of his heart, help me, God says, all right, now we can begin. In essence, those are the two words behind this. The Lord bless you. Help them, Lord, by being with them. Help him, Lord, by blessing him. Simple prayers made by Boaz and the reapers united them in their understanding that all the good, all the blessing they would come to him was gonna come from God. So as we move through this book of Ruth, we see more than just a history of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We see historical analogies. And we see a history of ourselves and we see the Lord Jesus Christ in these people. And as we see ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, phrases in these verses just come alive to us and we grab a hold of them. You know, words that Ruth said, we see in those words, those are my words to God. And we say, those words that Boaz says, we say, those words are just too close. Those are God's words to me. And we move through this history, we see impressive verses. We pick them up, pick them out of there. We say, oh, those are dear to me. And one of those phrases we see is Ruth, as she's just overwhelmed with Boaz and the welcome that he's given to her. He says, don't leave my fields in verse eight. I'm going to give you a preferred position in the work here among my maidens in verse 8. I'm going to give you protection in verse 9. I'm going to give you water in verse 9. And she's just overwhelmed with this gratitude. And she asks the question, why? In verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes? 
And we understand why Ruth has asked this question of Boaz, because Ruth is saying to Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? I'm a stranger. It's that phrase in verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that we say it's our question to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at ourselves, and we look at ourselves, we're first coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that our position was poor and lost and far from God. Before we're saved, we see that our condition was defiled, dirty on the inside. We look at our direction, heading straight for hell, right down the middle of the road to hell. We see that our interests were ABC, anything but Christ. We see that our lives were foreign to God. We're foreign. And then we came to see that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us to save us from our sins. And we see in verse 10 how Ruth took the words right out of our mouths. And we said, why have I found grace in thine eyes? God, why have you looked at me with grace when I treated you with such contempt, with such offense? Why have you done that? Lord, why did you care for me when I didn't care anything about you? Lord, why have I found grace in thine eyes? And Ruth understood that Boaz had taken the time to study and to understand what Ruth's needs were. And Boaz had specifically provided for Ruth's needs. That's what's meant when she said in verse 10, that thou takest knowledge of me. And the Lord did that for us. He studied each one of us. He provided for each one of our individual needs. When we see how God specifically took care of us, it may or may not be an answer to prayer. But we know that God stepped in to take care of us. We do exactly what we see Ruth do in verse 10. She stands back, you took knowledge of me. And Ruth said that she wasn't worthy for Boaz to have taken knowledge of her because she's a stranger. And we feel that way. So unworthy for God to take knowledge of our personal problems, our troubles, that he should care for us. Those words in verse 10, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger, right from our mouths. And we speak them back to God. And then we look at the last words in verse 13 that Ruth says to Boaz when she said, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And in our mind, we picture Ruth and she's standing there and she's looking at Boaz. And then she's looking at the handmaidens over here of Boaz. And Ruth's look at Boaz. She looks at the handmaidens and she says, I feel so out of place. I feel so out of place. Compared to your handmaidens, there's not one of them like me. What was Ruth thinking when she says to Boaz in verse 13, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens? We can imagine she's thinking as she's standing there and she's wearing all the clothes that she possesses. And she's looking over Boaz's handmaidens, and they're all wearing those work clothes provided by Boaz. And she's thinking, I'm not dressed like them. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens and how they're dressed. And then she thought about how she wasn't taught like the handmaidens. And she says, I be not like one unto thine handmaidens and how they're, they're taught, what they understand. She looks at their mannerisms. I be not like one unto thine handmaidens in my mannerisms. And usefulness she sees all the handmaids who are useful for Boaz, and she says, I'm not useful for you. I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens and how I'm useful for you. 
And so she thinks of how out of place she is as she's standing there among the handmaidens of Boaz and she says, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. Now that feeling, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens, is how many of us felt when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. That's how I felt in clothing. I looked around the church in 1970 and saw conservative dress. Not that I see it today, but at that time I did. And like Ruth, I said, I be not like unto one of these Christians when I came to church. In language, I heard these Christians in the church in 1970 saying things like, praise the Lord. And like Ruth, I thought to myself, I be not like one of these Christians. In knowledge, I saw Christians in the church. They knew the Bible. They knew the hymns by heart. (laughs) And like Ruth, I thought to myself, I be not like one of those Christians. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.